today is the 16th of August 2016 and we're going to take up a story, another story from The Hidden Lamp, Stories from 25 Centuries of Awakened Women, edited by Florence Kaplow and Susan Moon. And uh, this story that we're going to take up tonight is called Say and Her Soul Are Separated and it's also um, case number 35 in the Mumon Khan. Um, we'll be reading the version that uh, is told in Hidden Lamp, but then um, drawing on the um, Mumon Khan version for the, for the commentary and the verse. And we'll just start by um, reading the story that is, is behind the case. The case is very short, it's just a question. And then um, the, the commentary in the verse, and then we'll look at each of them. And a little bit about the Master as well. Say was the lo- beloved daughter of Chaukan. In childhood, she played with her cousin Ochu, and Senjo's father, uh, Say's father, jokingly told him that they were betrothed. They believed him and later fell in love. When her father told her she would marry another man, they were heartbroken. Otshu left the village in a boat before the marriage. As he left, he saw a figure running along the bank, calling to him. It was Say. Joyfully, she joined him and they travelled far away where they married and had two children. Five years went by and Say longed to see her parents and ask their forgiveness. They travelled back to their village and Ochu went to her father, told him the story and apologised for them both. Chokan, astonished, asked Ochu, What girl are you talking about? Your daughter, Say, replied Ochu. Chokan said, My daughter, Say? Ever since you left, she's been sick in bed, unable to speak. Then Ochu brought Say up from the boat. As they approached her parents' door, the Say who had been sick got up from her bed, smiling. Then the two Say's met and merged into one. Say said, I saw Ochu going away, and that night I dreamed that I ran after his boat. But now I cannot tell you which was really me, the one that went away in the boat or the one that stayed at home. Later, Zen Master Goso asked, Say was separated from her soul. Which was the real Say? And that, that last bit is the, is the case in the Mumon Khan. Commentary. If you realise the one, you will know that we pass from one husk to another like travellers stopping at an inn. But if this is not yet clear, don't rush about wildly. When earth, water, fire and air suddenly separate, you'll be like a crab struggling in boiling water with its seven arms and eight legs. Don't say I didn't warn you. And the verse... The moon among the clouds is ever the same, different from each other, the mountain and the valley, 
How wonderful, how blessed is this one, is this two. Just a little bit of um, biographical material on this um, master. Um, his, his Japanese name is Goso. Um, we'll, we'll stick with that. Um, so we go through this, this koan. Um, his Chinese name, Wuzu Fayan. Um, he was a Rinzai master um, the Tang dynasty he died in 1104 um, aged about 80 um, he was ordained relatively late in life at, at the age of 35 and he started off when he was first ordained he became a scholar monk uh, at Chengdu which was his home city in Sichuan and the city Chengdu um, is still uh, today, a centre for Dharmic practice, there's a huge uh, Vajrayana monastery there. He studied in um, a, one of the of Buddhism's philosophical schools, the Consciousness Only School, uh, sometimes also uh, known as the Yogacara School. a little bit about his training spiritual journey one day when Goso was studying he read the following it is said in Buddhism that when a bodhisattva sees with his satori eye, the working and the principle are fused, circumstances and the essence are unified, and subjectivity and objectivity are not separated. A non-Buddhist scholar argued against this, saying, if subjectivity and objectivity are not separated, how can that fact itself be proved? No one could answer but the venerable Genjo spoke out. It is the same as if one realises personally how cold or warm the water is by drinking it himself. So this, um, this whole passage uh, goes so read, and then it, it roused in him a question. He said to himself, I know cold and warm, but what is it to realise it personally? What is it when we experience something? What is it to know that the water is cold or warm? So he went to his teacher at the time and um, asked his teacher this question but um, his teacher could not clarify it for him and he said if you want to solve this question go to the south and ask a Zen master and so he he went off he left um, Chengdu and 
went wandering, uh, studying under different masters at different places, until um, at a certain point he was uh, studying with a master, a Zen teacher called Hakuin Shutan. And he was one day in Hakuin's presence when he um, scolded another monk, um, teaching him. And there was something about this that um, sort of girded um, Goso's loins and um, inspired him to practice more intensively. And then he heard another teaching by Master Shutan. He said, um, There are several Zen monks from Mount Ro, all of whom have had Satori. If you should let them speak, they could give beautiful talks. If you asked them regarding various koan, they could answer clearly. If you wanted them to write a pithy commentary, they could do so nicely. And yet they have not attained it. And this, this little talk... Um, was, was just like the last sort of ignition he needed to really um, be, be gripped by the great doubt. And a short time after the, this, um, he experienced a deep awakening. He then um, taught um, for... Um, 40 years he was said to be um, uh, quite a, a straightforward and unassuming uh, teacher with a, a very plain style he used to refer to himself as Uncle Toe of Rest River Toe was his family name or sometimes he would, he would refer to himself as the fellow who lives somewhere or other at the foot of the East Mountain. He, uh, he appears four times in the Mumon Khan and um, this koan is a subtle one of his and also another famous koan that he um, uh, created um, the buffalo passes through through the windows. Another very subtle and considered to be quite difficult uh, koan. The little um, sample of his teaching um, in one of Roshi Kaplow's books, straight to the heart of the Zen, and it captures something of his his, his uh, humanity. And it was a talk that he gave in old age in his old age, late in his teaching career. And he, he says, Yesterday I found a certain passage and I wondered if I should bring it up before all of you. But as I am an old man, I've forgotten the whole thing entirely. For some time I thought about it, but it wouldn't come back to me. He was silent for a moment. Then he said, I have forgotten. I have forgotten. And then he added, Ah, there's a Mahayana Dharani named the wise enlightening king if you recite it you remember what you have forgotten Goso then recited the mantra 
Panaro Rokuke Shagbaka and clapped his hands. Ha ha, I remember, I remember. If you try to find a Buddha, you never see one. If you search for a patriarch, you will never meet one. The sweet melon is sweet to the root. The bitter melon is bitter to the root. And uh, Roshi kept the comments on this. He says, um, if you try to find a Buddha, you can't see one. And if you try to exert yourself to become a good person, you'll never be one. Um, often get our trying our trying to be a good person gets in the way it, it undermines us um, to to be a good and loving person is is um, the outcome of all kinds of different streams of of effort and it's something that that unfolds not something we really will This, the image of the, of the sweet melon and the bitter melon is also um, pointing to our, our efforts to um, find Buddha in our lives. Rishi Kaplan says, The sweet melon is sweet to the root, the bitter melon is bitter to the root. When you taste life's sweetness, it is thoroughly sweet. You encounter something bitter and it is thoroughly bitter. What sort of Buddha are you searching for? It said that when he when he died, a large rock fell down from a nearby mountain, and the sound could be heard of this falling rock for many many miles around the monastery. Um, he said he had 22 dharma heirs, um, and one of those was um, Engo Guan Wu, who compiled the the Hikigang Roku, the Blue, Blue Cliff Record. So now we'll just turn to um, the case. Um, just very short. The story is just um, assumed, I guess, assumed that we we um, we know it. it must have been a, a well-known. Uh, folk tale, Chinese folk tale. The actual case is just uh, Goso asking a monk, "Say and her whole and her soul separated, which is the true one?"
And the first point in this, when you work on this, is to find a way to to demonstrate uh, Say's true self, to um, to embody it. So, so Goso takes this old Chinese folktale um, as, the, as the basis for his question. It seems in the story that, that, that um, Say is, is torn. She's torn between her, her duty to her father and her love for Otru. So much so that that um, her her body and her soul um, go off in in different directions. Just really a, a footnote on this mention of the soul um, here. When Roshi Kapler was working on this koan with um, Yasutani Roshi, he immediately objected and said. Well, surely Buddhism teaches that there's no soul. Um, and, at, and at that time, sometimes when in talk, talking about the teaching of no self, it would be translated as no soul. And it's true that, that the teaching of, of Buddhism is that there's no abiding or independent or unchanging self that, that sort of transmigrates from body to body that doesn't change itself. Um, rather, we see the nature of things as being cause and effect, as everything is cause and effect, constantly flowing and changing. Um, but it doesn't uh, mean that um, consciousness, a consciousness that is is not entirely dependent on the body isn't recognised in Buddhism it's just that this consciousness is seen as something um, dependent that interacts with um, the the material world and that um, it's conditioned by it and conditions it and when when Roshi Kaplo made this, this objection um, Yasutani Roshi mentioned he had a student who had, who um, would um, go, uh, leave his body at night and travel and visit people and have conversations with them. And later, one way or another, he was able to verify with those people that he visited that the, the conversations had taken place or that the information exchange was was actually true. Um, and so he was. He was. Yasutani was sort of saying to Kaplow, "Well, it's not so implausible this ghost story." Um, and it made me uh, think about a story that I heard from my own Dharma brother Sante Poroma about an experience he had of of leaving his body after a sashim. And he relates this. He relates this story in um, his book, The Net of Indra which is about um, consciousness and 
a rebirth. And he presents this, this, um, this personal experience as... Um, a perspective on the nature of, of consciousness. I'll just read a little passage here from this. Following one of my first sheens, I had another weird experience. I was lying in bed in a Rochester Zen Centre dormitory where we newcomers and less experienced people were bunked. It was the night after the end of an extremely intense seven-day retreat. It was raining heavily outside and the raindrops pattered in random staccato on the roof above my bunk. Gradually I slipped into a state of absolute stillness. It was as if everything had ceased happening, even my breath. I began to feel panic in discovering that I couldn't move. My body had frozen and felt heavy as lead. An enormous weight pressed down on my chest Then something very strange happened. Suddenly, I was no longer pinned to the bunk. I was outdoors, soaring through the air towards downtown Rochester. It was raining, but I couldn't feel it. I had no body. Somewhere downtown, I saw a middle-aged man climbing into a taxi. But suddenly, I was there with him in the taxi. And even worse, I was there with him in his consciousness. It was a queer anomaly indeed, unlike anything I experienced before. It didn't feel like I had possessed him, but rather as if I'd become a fly on the wall of his mind, passively observing what was happening. He seemed not to have any awareness of my existence, but I was able to experience his thoughts and simultaneously observe the whole thing happening. He ducked into the taxi and the driver said something about the relentless rain and that anyway it was good for business because rain makes people take more taxis. The man mumbled something in reply, but was thinking that the weather was not good for his business. Suddenly I knew that he had a stable of sex workers who were getting less business tonight on account of the rain. I also knew, but don't ask me how, that he was married and planning to move to Florida with his wife within a few years. The next moment I was back in bed and able to move my body again. What I thought on reflection was that even this unfortunate person whose consciousness I had occupied was in an inexplicable way affected by the meditation retreat we had just completed. This experience did not resemble a dream at all and is still, after all these years, vivid to me. So just a really... A uh, little window into what um, is possible with our consciousness. And it's interesting that in this sort of ghost story, um, one say joke, one say is is immobilized and unspeaking in her bed, and the other say um, goes off uh, with her with her sweetheart. Uh, Otu. And I think it's, this is a story um, that's, that's um, quite, quite easy for us to relate to in its depiction of uh, this, this um, sense of being, of being torn 
um, in the hidden lamp, each of these stories has a commentator. And for this story, it's, it's uh, Agent Linda Ruth Cutts. And she says the following about, um, about this story. The conventional elements of the story mirror many of the situations that brought me and many women to practice. Like, say, we may have grown up in circumstances in which we had little agency, where familial, religious, cultural, gender and social pressures were strong, and where meeting the prevailing expectations was conveyed as more important than anything else. Like, say, whose older sister had died, this is another element of the story, we may have been born into a family ecology with many challenges and intense karmic patterns. Like, say, we may have experienced great love, great loss and great disappointment. Conditioned by this difficult environment, we try to relieve our pain in unskillful ways, resulting in feeling divided and distanced from our once lively self. Like the two says, unaware of each other, one drained of energy, sick in bed without speech, the other an active wife and mother, yet riven by contradiction and separation, Eventually we begin longing to be whole, for something real, for our true home. Which one is the true say? So behind this simple story we can see this um, sense of being, of being divided, but also a longing to, to overcome that, that division. One say lies immobilized. The other is, seems to be happy and alive but feels estranged and complete. And what's the, what does the true say? What's the real say? This is really the question that, that Goso is presenting to us and not really just about say but about ourselves. We, um, all of us at different times, can, can experience a sense of being, being divided and somehow there being a barrier between us and really fully living our lives. We can feel pulled in different directions, uh, stuck on the horns of, of um, this or that dilemma or being, being tugged in different directions by different longings that we have could be um, wanting to practice more versus uh, the demands um, and responsibilities we have for work or family. It could be feeling a calling to do some kind of creative work but at the same time needing to earn a living. It could be uh, feeling the need to be challenged but at the same time um, wanting to feel safe or another way that we, we um, divide ourselves we can um, do something that we um, feel is, is stupid and then um, judge ourselves very harshly about it or conversely we excel at something and then we feel proud puffing ourselves up so which which one is in this in these is the true me 
Is it the one who who acts in a stupid way or the one who beats that other one up? Am I then two selves or, or is there one self? Our koans are often kind of set a trap for us. Um, here, uh, the question, which is the true say? Or in the koan mu, the question is, does a dog have the Buddha nature or not? Or um, in another one, we have a um, zengen tapping on a coffin and asking his teacher, alive or dead? We want, we often long for things to be black and white, simple. This or that? If you say it's the if uh, it's the say who went off with Ochu, who's the real say, then you're saying the one lying in the bed isn't. And if you say the one lying in the bed is the the true say, then you're saying the other one isn't. In the story, when when um, uh, the two says meet, they smile and then merge into each other. Uh, Ruth Cutts in her commentary on this um, says that the smile of recognition is the same as the Buddha's successor, Mahakashapa's smile, when the world-honoured one on Vulture Peak held up a flower and winked. This was their transmission ceremony of nothing to transmit. Mahakashapa understood that the Buddha and he himself were not actually separated. Who is the real say? As in all the koans, you have to become completely one with say to see who the true say is. Here in this in this story, um, Gosto uses this um, the, this dichotomy of of body and soul as the basis for his question. But really, it can we can apply it to all kinds of of um, dualisms and, and dilemmas, material and immaterial. Um, Unity and diversity. Emptiness and form.
commentary. If you realize the one, you will know that we pass from one husk to another like travelers stopping at an inn. But this, this is not yet clear, don't rush about wildly. When earth, water, fire and air suddenly separate, you'll be like a crab struggling in boiling water with its seven arms and eight legs. Don't say I didn't warn you. So, um, Mumon starts by saying, if you realize the one, you will know that we pass from one husk to another like travelers stopping at an inn. If you realize the one true say, if you realize, in other words, your own true self, then you'll know that we pass from one husk to another like travelers stopping at an inn. You might think that this refers to the soul um, passing from one body to the next, but it's more fundamental than that. He's really um, talking here about something that happens much more frequently. We, we change from being children to being youths, to being adults, to being middle-aged, to being old. It's one way of understanding it. We keep... Ch- we, uh, um, our shape keeps shifting as we go through life. Or you could relate it to um, just how we pass from one emotional state to, an, to another through a, a day or a couple of hours. Our body and our consciousness are in constant flux. If we realize the one that he mentions here, the real true one, then we'll we'll see all this change without being um, disturbed by it, without trying to arrest it in some way. Mumon then goes to say, if you're not clear about this, then don't rush about wildly. Really what he's saying here is, sit down, do zazen, stop and look, find out who you are for yourself. I think of Goso's um, doubt mass arising when he, he wanted to know what it meant to realize it personally, to know when the water was warm or cold. He he continues, when earth, air, water, air and fire suddenly separate, you'll be like a crab struggling in boiling water with its seven arms and eight legs. Don't say I didn't warn you. This is a common way um, of referring to death when the the, um, four elements disperse earth, water, fire and air. If when we get to death we haven't resolved this matter then um, 
will be like a crab flailing around in boiling water in agony. Uh, when I was doing hospice volunteering, um, the deaths that, that I witnessed of, of the, the different patients I worked with were, were generally not peaceful deaths. People struggle. We struggle um, because we identify so strongly with our bodies and our minds and life itself. We, we, we experience these as self and it's very, very painful to watch them disperse, to dis- dis- disintegrate. Dante talks about this in his, in his book, The um, Native Indra. We are all deeply affected by the fact that we will die. Death is the most outrageous injustice that happens to us because life, after all, is all we have. Without our lives, we are literally nothing. The fact that we exist means everything. If you didn't exist, then nothing would exist, at least for you. The fact that we exist and that we experience ourselves to exist has, in other words, a value that cannot be valued. Life is priceless. How preposterous death seems in the light of life's singular significance. We hardly have time to get used to the fact that we are alive and barely learn to appreciate the inconceivable value of this life before death comes and just takes it all away from us. All of it. Our whole life and all its memories, all the birthdays we ever celebrated, all the loves, friends, sumptuous dinners, all the insights we have ever reached, all the sorrow and all the joy, it is all annihilated in a moment. Death appears to nullify everything. Nothing remains and it is no consolation that others live on a while longer because we're not even there to be consoled. Mumon here is not just talking about a a literal death either. It could also include all the other kinds of little deaths that we experience in our lives, being criticised, losing face, um, suffering, um, loss of our job, or um, somebody we love, or struggling in our lives in different ways, struggling with, with uncertainty or not knowing. Really, this, this work that we do is urgent work to see for ourselves who the true person is. 
to see beyond the surface change. Don't rush about wildly. Verse The moon among clouds is ever the same, different from each other, the mountain and the valley. How wonderful, how blessed! Is this one, is this two? In, in Zen, um, the moon and the clouds are it's a, a very often used image. Clouds for our, often for our delusions, but even more than that, for the forms that our mind takes. Different, different states we go through. While the clouds change and shift, the moon is always the same moon. This is something that used to strike me when I was uh, far away from home, when I was in Rochester with Richard here in New Zealand. And sometimes I would, at night I would look up at the moon and it was somehow reassuring to know that when he looked up into the sky he was, would be seeing the same moon that I saw. It might be a different time but it would be the same moon, the same phase of the moon. And this light, this light is there even when there are clouds in the sky. No matter what the forms our mind takes, the light of awareness is there experiencing those forms. different from each other, the mountain and the valley. Mountains and valleys are, yes, different from each other. Everybody knows that who's spent time uh, climbing in mountains and valleys. But you can't show the point where one begins and the other ends. They're actually completely dependent on each other for their existence and, and both are, are illuminated by that bright moon in the sky
how wonderful, how blessed is this one, is this two. How extraordinary that we uh, experience anything. How strange to be alive in this world with all its myriad forms. And this mind of ours that experiences everything. How wonderful. Another point of the, of the koan is, is to respond to this, is this one, is this two? How to express this truth? But really if we, if we understand the first three lines of this, of this verse, then these questions at the end are, are superfluous. Just this, just this lamplight on the lectern. People sitting in the room, breathing. The moon shining outside in the sky. We'll stop here and recite four vows.